Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Dr. Brent Hutchinson, who is the executive director of Davis House Child Advocacy Center in Franklin, Tennessee. And Dr. Brent Hutchinson is also a 2019 Obama fellow, which is very impressive as well. Hello, Brent. How are you? And welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, we're very excited to talk more about your organization and how you drive impact. But before we get there, if you don't mind, so that our audience can become a little bit more familiar with you, can you share more information about your background and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, I am from Eastern Kentucky. I grew up in Appalachian, Kentucky. Um, and so that place is near and dear to me. I actually split time between Franklin, Tennessee and, and there still uh, where my family is from. And honestly, uh, Appalachians uh, in general, and certainly in Eastern Kentucky, grow up uh, learning what it means to take care of the people around them, to understand that you know the life is shared and not necessarily um, isolated. And so, when people have needs, the community steps up around that. And that I think, uh, looking back for sure, has impacted the way that I see um, the, the way I show up in the world, the way I do the work that I do. So for me, my jobs have always been really vocational. Um, where the way that I um, best serve in the world is is not uh, just something that I do separately from the way I earn a living, that those two things go together. Um, so I learned that, I think, growing up, I um, graduated from Moorhead State University um, with a social science education degree, and then became a youth pastor, actually. And so I served um, a local church in central Kentucky for a couple of years before I went on to become a marriage and family therapist. And that was really driven out of the learning that I had in that church setting, working with families. Beyond that, um, I served, uh, moved from there to um, Middle Tennessee, to the Nashville area, where I worked in a couple different places. One, the longest stint at a local church here, um, or in, in the in Nashville, um, helping, to, helping to connect people to uh, community in so many ways. Uh, and, and then beyond that, went to serve as a nonprofit director in Eastern Kentucky, um, in Hindman, Kentucky, actually southeastern Kentucky, and then back to uh, Frank, Middle Tennessee, Franklin, um, in 2020, where I became the executive director of Davis House. And that journey um, certainly was, uh, it seems like a little bit of a popcorn approach in terms of everything looking fairly differently. Um, the degrees that I have look sort of different. The jobs that I've had look sort of different. But in, in my mind, they're really all connected in a place where um, I want to serve in organizations where I can personally have impact with my skill set, but also those places matter to the world. Um, the, the needs that the community has itself are being able to be met by these initiatives or these ideas that we have as organizations. And um, honestly, you know, I've learned so much from each of them that continue to propel me forward. But now what I do as the executive director of Davis House is we serve uh, what I always say is that we serve the most vulnerable children in our community. They're those kids who are sexually and physically abused. Um, and we serve a region, four different counties here in Middle Tennessee. And uh, every day we see kids who have experienced uh, things that are unspeakable. I was telling somebody even yesterday that if you can imagine it, it's probably worse, um, which is a sad commentary on the way that people treat each other. But at the same time, we want kids to have a place where they can feel safe and they can receive healing and also work toward justice. And uh, that is incredibly important work. And so that's the kind of thing that we do every day uh, at Davis House. That's amazing. And thank you for sharing. Obviously, a critically important mission that you know uh, drives a lot of benefit to the people that need it most, uh, mm -hmm. those that have been taken advantage of. So thank you for your work. And thank you for sharing your background as well, too. Sure. I was going to ask more about the mission. I think you did a great job of articulating that. 
where I would love to kind of go next is to hear more about how you drive impact today through your organization. What does that look like? Um, how do you benefit uh, the people that need it most? What we do, honestly, is um, uh, is mandated by the government to be in place. So in, in terms of that, it's not the most um, innovative sort of work in the world. It's There are child advocacy centers all over the country and really around the world, although the movement itself is not that old. It started in the 80s. And so what we do is really try to make sure that when a child has experienced um, some sort of abuse, that they can come to one place and tell their story theoretically one time. Uh, it's recorded. Uh, by a forensic interviewer. It's viewed by people that are investigators and that um, it holds up in court. So theoretically, that child does not have to go and be re-traumatized by having to tell what happened to them to six or eight or 10 different people. Um, beyond that, we do advocacy services um, to, that help them and their families, their non-offending caregivers, whatever that might be. And then we provide um, therapy to them as well, in addition to uh, prevention outreach in our communities. All of that is free of charge um, to families and children because uh, that's an equitable approach uh, to making sure that no matter what your background is, you have opportunities for healing and justice that are geared specifically toward your needs. And so one of the ways that I think that we have impact is by being hyper-focused on what we do. Um, uh, we do the best we can to make sure that our staff is the highest trained, well, best, best most well-trained uh, group. And I would hold them up against anybody. I mean, they have incredible hearts for this work. Uh, you couldn't do it if you if you didn't. Um, they're incredibly well-trained. They're very focused on their task at hand. We do a lot to make sure that they are taken care of as well. Uh, they, you can imagine, experience vicarious and secondary trauma by hearing traumatic stories that children are telling them all day, every day. And so by making sure that they're well, by making sure that their families are taken care of, by making sure that the children and their families that will come with them are taken care of, honestly, that's how we have impact. We our, our services are provided um, because of referrals that come to us. So we can't go out and drum up business. It just happens because of the connections and the way that the organization is structured. But what we can do is make sure that the services we provide go as deep as possible and are really serving the vast cross-sections of our community in a way that maybe other organizations don't. Um, so we focus on trying to make sure that whatever the, the changing needs of this community are, that we step up to meet them as long as it fits within our mission. And um, we, again, I, I mentioned that we serve four counties. Another way we do impact with that is by um, two, we have three locations across those four counties. All of all three locations are now independently accredited, uh, which means that we are open up funding channels and we open up opportunities for capacity to grow in each of those communities in a way that they didn't before our smaller sort of branch offices uh, became accredited in their own right. And so that's been a focus of ours over the last couple of years too. And really kind of working through the system that's in place to make sure that we maximize those opportunities and, and really lean into the, the chance that we have the momentum we have in those communities to build capacity. That's probably another great way that we build impact in, in this specific setting. That's excellent. And I, I think this is a great topic as well, too. I'm glad you touched on this in terms of kind of investing in your team to mm -hmm. enable them to be able to drive that impact as well, too. Mm -hmm. I think there's probably not enough said about that because, or for various reasons, but it is arguably one of the most important, right? Because those are the people doing the work that is critically important. They need to be looked after as well, too. Like you did a great job of articulating that and that they need to be able to do the job to the best of their abilities as well, too, and they need support. So investing in your team means driving impact, right? So I, I would love to hear you talk 
perhaps a little bit more about that too, in terms of like what recommendations you have for any other leaders of mission-driven or nonprofit organizations who may be experiencing similar challenges in terms of what you've seen work well, or you know how you might encourage them to advocate for their teams, because that's going to mean results ultimately for the clients as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that that's a, a, a critical point uh, when we think about particularly nonprofit work. There's no nonprofit that um, has smooth sailing all the time, whether it's a funding challenge or a staffing challenge or um, some sort of changing dynamic in the community where they've been accepted and maybe aren't as more. There's new leadership somewhere else. Um, but for me, I'm a relational leader in general. I like to make sure that the staff knows that I have an open door policy to connect with uh, over whatever issues they might have, as well as um, really want them to have an opportunity to grow and thrive in their work. Um, and so I try to really start that from the beginning whenever I enter an organization. One of the things that I look for, uh, particularly as a new leader, but really throughout my time, is what I call that low hanging fruit. You know, how can I really um, provide something to them that's not difficult to provide, but that for me as a new leader builds credibility that I've listened to them and also gives them something that they want or have wanted for some time, whether that's a change in flexibility about how their day operates or um, a, a new benefit that we can provide that's not very expensive to the organization, but really means something to them. Um, and so in, in the current context that I have, we've been able to do that. We We started making sure that there were times where all of us were together, that was not happening very well among the team. Um, we built in opportunities for us to get away for retreats. Um, and that's been really remarkable trainings that where the whole staff is going and we have these shared experiences um, where we're learning, but at the same time, we're also able to go out. And, you know, when I go to a training with my team, I want to make sure I take them out for some nice dinners. They don't get to do that all day, every day. They're not maybe paid as much as they should be. So, you know, they get to do those things on their own. It's not something they can always do. So can we do that as a team? And so I'm constantly trying to think about things that probably seem simple or not big deals. Um, but when you address that kind of in a communal context, it really does matter. We started celebrating people's birthdays. Um, we started doing things like uh, having outings uh, for the staff just to have half of a day that was fun or half of a day that was devoted to service to another organization in the community. Um, so we weren't thinking about ourselves all the time. And, and a lot of that, too, it, it's taking care of them. But it's also, you know, in our context, again, they're experiencing really difficult stuff all day, every day. They need a release uh, in some way to kind of not focus on that. That helps them continue to move forward without being burned out um, in the work. It's very easy to quickly burn out in work like this. Um, you know, honestly, over time too, we've had some morale issues. Uh, there are times that staff are on board, they do really good work, um, but they don't buy into the vision. They don't buy into the way that we do things. They don't really like things that feel unstructured or they don't really like things that feel loosey-goosey or feel like uh, what we call warm fuzzies, you know, the, the types of things that make people happy because they're just simple things you can do. And sometimes those people have to move along. And I think helping, you know, as a leader, helping an organization understand that there are going to be people who come and go, but the mission stays the same, the purpose stays the same, regardless of changes in staffing. You know, that's something that we've had to come to terms with it, even at Davis House. And um, those are not easy lessons, but uh, you get there over time. And, but all of that, Sean, to your point, is being able to help the staff, uh, I think, connect to one another and not to necessarily build a family, I, I want to make this point. One of the things that I've learned over time is that we often want our work experiences to feel like family. We're taking care of each other. We, we know each other personally and all those things matter. Yes, that's true. But families are often incredibly dysfunctional. 
And uh, whenever something goes wrong with somebody in a family, you can't necessarily easily always kick them off. <laughs> um, in a workplace, you have to really approach that differently. And so we really look at our workplace as a professional community. And so there are implications about the word community that allow us to be relational with one another. But we're also professional. We have a mission that's vitally important, um, that has to be focused, that requires them to be well-trained. And we can also do some fun things to make sure they feel taken care of. And I think that th that combination of thinking, for me anyway, is what drives why and how we do the things we do. I think that's a fantastic way to articulate it. I, I, I agree with the sentiment, I want to say at least in theory, that a lot of people circulate from time to time in terms of the kind of like we're a family here, but like you just articulated and very, very well, there are definitely unique differences in terms of how most people would think of their family unit versus their kind of work family or the people they work with, right? In a working professional right. environment. So um, I, I like the sentiment, but I think you've done a good job of making a clear distinction between the two and the unique challenges that you face in either. So I think also when the team hears kind of the family-based environment, they think the same thing. So mm -hmm. kind of calling attention to that and understanding the differences and making sure that the right support is there, uh, ensuring that the team remains functional and that all the team members are taken care of and you're preventing things like burnout. Those are a lot of, I would argue, probably unique uh, elements to our working environment that are critically important in order for what our mission is to be mm -hmm. able to continue to be fulfilled in a continuous basis. So that's a great way to describe that as well, too. And you've shared a lot of great ideas in terms of what people or leaders of other mission-driven organizations can do to make sure the team is taken care of so that they can carry out the mission, right? Because otherwise, that we slow, progress slows down considerably. So yes. uh, thank you for sharing that as well, too. Where I would love to go next to hear more from you as well also is in terms of your plans to plans for growth. And that could be anything, right? And it could be geographical. That could be how to help more clients. That can be... Um, all, all different types of unique elements related to growth. And it could be something that has already been accomplished or something that you have in the works. So I'd love to hear, you know, on this podcast, we always love to hear from leaders like yourself in terms of what is your, what are your plans or what is part of your vision to kind of grow from here? So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. You know, growth is an interesting concept in some ways for organizations, because I think um, sometimes organizations are really challenged by the idea of growth, not necessarily internally, I think a lot of people think leaders always are thinking, how can we grow? How can we expand our impact? Um, when I was a pastor at a church, um, you know, there's a, there's a huge, there was a huge issue around growth because for us, growth was responding to needs in the community. And so whatever those needs were, we wanted to do whatever it took to meet those needs. And what that meant was we had to have more money, more space, more staff, more opportunities for people to connect um, to that place. Critics say, well, how do you actually get to know each other in an environment like that? How do you share intimacy and build community in those ways? And so those are valid questions. Um, our job as leaders in a church that's growing, and in our case was growing very rapidly, was to figure out how do we how do we make sure that people can connect despite the fact that numerically we're growing pretty exponentially. And so there's a tension there that you kind of hold um, in the nonprofit organizations that I've led. It's really been the same thing. And it's all been about maximizing impact, not necessarily growth in numbers. You know, that feels impressive, but that's not sustainable. What is sustainable are plans that help you know um, what your purpose is, what your mission is, and how you meet the needs of the people in your community, if that's what you're serving, uh, whatever your constituent base is. In our case at Davis House, like I mentioned before, our numbers come from referrals. So we don't, we don't go out and advertise uh, for people to come to us. They can't call us directly and set an appointment. I mean, that's not how it works. And so... 
growth for us is being able to respond to increasing numbers because our community is growing. And so are we staffed enough um, up? Are we staffed up enough to make sure that as the community um, expands itself, that we're able to respond to needs as they expand because our statistics are percentages of communities, you know, so we have to be able to do that. So that's one. Another is to make sure that those people have the depth and that our services are deep enough to provide whatever needs come through our door. And so that requires us being innovative uh, and making sure that we set aside resources or raise resources to be able to make sure our staff is trained to be able to provide the deepest, most quality, high quality services we can provide. I mentioned that all of all three of our centers, our physical centers are now accredited. We have you know, physical structures in place in these communities. They have accreditation that gives them legitimacy. It helps us to be able to build financial solvency in those communities, to build leadership capacity. So especially in our two rural centers, we're able to eventually get them to where they're independent. You know, the goal now is uh, not for them to continue to operate as they've always operated, but, you know, within five years, eight years, something like that, they'll have the chance to kind of spin out on their own and have their own local leadership with their own localized teams that aren't sharing responsibilities for multiple locations. Um, so we know that now. So it's upon us, it's incumbent upon us to work toward that uh, over time to make sure that that they have what they need to be able to do that. And honestly, it's continuing to evaluate with our leadership team and with our board of directors, you know, where are we headed? What does it look like? And to be able to anticipate those needs. And so that's infrastructure. Um, are our accounting processes the best that they can be? Do we need to pay more money for outside? We don't have accountants on staff. So we, do we need to pay more money for outside people to be able to do what we really need them to do? The answer to that is yes. Do we need to have a capital campaign to raise several million dollars because the county we live in is very expensive? And we have a need for a facility. The answer to that is yes. So then you back up. Do I have people in place that can run a capital campaign? Do we have the donor base to be able to do that? And if not, what work do we need to do to get from point A to point B? So those strategy questions are are always important. um, And we're asking them all the time. But at the same time, we're moving forward in the midst of it all. You know, these these aren't ideas that we put on a shelf and we'll come back to another time. The needs are pressing. And so we have to kind of constantly think about our calendar, our staff's capacity, our board capacity and and recognize that it's not just on me or it's not just on my advancement director, but it's on us and our board leadership team and friends in the community who buy into our mission to make it all happen. And that's a conversation that we continually have and make sure that we're involved in in other groups and um, influencers in the community who understand what we do and are willing to jump on board with us. So I think a lot of it too is is picking up people as the train goes through, so, so to speak, picking up people along the way who are willing to help advance the mission. Great way to describe it and a lot of powerful details there that you share that I, I would love to reiterate. The first that you mentioned in terms of how thinking about growth, right? The real focus, just like we like to talk about on this podcast, is all about how do you maximize impact, right? And growth doesn't necessarily need to be something you do proactively or something you go out and find. In this case, we're talking about being prepared reactively as well, too, for as the mm-hmm. community grows around us and those needs of the community grow being available to provide the resources when necessary. I think that's an excellent perspective that I think is not often talked about, but equally, if not more important, right? As in like, where are the needs at the moment, right? And how do we adjust to those so that we can serve them as well also? I also love this content, uh, this topic that you touched on in terms of the financial solvency element. I've started talking more about that more recently in terms of the world of possibilities that that opens up for a nonprofit or a mission-driven organization when you can mm-hmm. achieve something as unique as financial solvency, really can take the pressure off, can enable you to do a lot more cool, creative things, and again, drive impact even greater 
when you, know, you don't have quite that pressure and the ability to kind of sustain operations is is built in a way with better balance there as well too. Mm-hmm. So huge advocate of that as well. So I'm always looking for opportunities to help nonprofits figure that out. And then the last one that I would mention that I I would kind of paraphrase in terms of how you've described it is kind of starting with the end goal in mind and then working backwards from there as mm-hmm. opposed to just staying busy and then hoping some results will come from it. I love that perspective and I love that kind of vision from an ex- execution perspective, understanding why we're doing whatever it is that we're doing. What is this intended to build progress mm-hmm. towards? And is that the right thing? Are we aligned appropriately? So are we focused on what we should, we should be? Are we focused mm-hmm. on what matters most? So kind of value in there. I have about a million questions I could ask you as follow-up from there, <laughs> but you started to go into the one of the last areas I'd love to ask you about because we talk about it on the show. And uh, that's figuring out any tools and resources to kind of help you uh, responding to any of these priorities for the organization in particular, any software or technology elements. I'm curious to hear or learn from you in terms of, is this something that you've leveraged previously? Is this something that you have any aspirations to want to do at some point? And where do you see kind of those tools and resources being able to help your organization in the future? Well, we've we've been very fortunate um, to have... I walked into a situation where our technology was really obsolete um, across the board. So from the computers that my staff were using to the servers that information was being held on um, to the way that we communicated via phone or email or whatever it might be, those kind of simpler things. And I had people who were really hungry to do that differently. So for me, honestly, that's one of those low hanging fruit issues that I was able to kind of address quickly where we were able to acquire quite a bit of money to update all that stuff to make sure that our infrastructure in terms of day to day operations was um, up to speed and really beyond um, our expectations. Um, so that happened over time. Uh, we invested well over six figures in getting that up, but all of that was paid for by grant money, honestly, and uh, it's out there. So look for those opportunities. So that was one. Two was that our kind of what I call the back of house um, operational side of things, our, our, our CRM, you know, our, our database of, of donors, how we track that information, the, the note keeping that we take on interactions we have with donors, corporations, foundations, whatever it might be, how we do event fundraisers and the infrastructure behind that. Um, all of that sort of stuff was really kept in a somewhat haphazard sort of way, not on purpose, uh, but I think that there were things that were happening and there was no good system in place to capture it all and then to really um, operationalize it going forward so that we're not having to kind of create the wheel every single time we do the same thing again. So we spent a lot of time and effort in getting those things updated, um, you know, having a great um, CRM up for us as Salesforce. Um, so shout out to Salesforce. Um, they've been, fa- it's been fantastic to work with. You know, we did not have the expertise to transition everything. We found a volunteer through an organization called Taproot that does, um, that provides that sort of service. So they have uh, other people who are volunteers who are really building their resumes, but have expertise in different uh, whether it be softwares or processes or whatever it might be that are willing to work with you to, to make that stuff happen. And they're there just for nonprofits. And so we tapped into a Salesforce really expert who provided services to us at no cost to get us caught up to speed and literally converted our data um, and got it organized for us. And it continues to be a consultant as we build out things like reports and on and on. And so those are incredible resources that, that I think everybody should be, aware that that are out there. It takes a little digging sometimes to find them, but they're there and there are people who want to help nonprofits succeed. And, uh, it, you know, it's just a matter of effort to look. 
And then building a network um, of, of other like-minded leaders, whether it be other, in our case, CAC directors from across the state, or whether it be other nonprofit directors in our community or people who are really good at raising funds or understanding what our government officials look like and how they want to plug in civically into the community beyond their jobs. Those are all things that have helped advance our mission um, in a pretty significant way. But I think it means knowing what your needs are, doing everything it takes to meet them. We're pretty tireless about kind of digging things out and making sure that we have the things around the table that help us succeed. And then again, finding the right people uh, to help advance your mission, whether it's through your board of directors or for volunteers that you have. There are always people in the community and the right people at the right time, I feel like. And it requires effort. Um, I, as the executive director, the CEO, I can't do it alone. Uh, and I know that. And so I think for me, being able to say that and then to surround myself with people who are willing to kind of walk the road with me makes an enormous difference. And I think that's a great way to think about impact. Um, your impact is maximized by the people you invest in. And if you can get them on your team, if you can get them walking forward with you, that's one of the biggest ways to um, expand your reach um, as an organization and, and as a leader yourself to understand that you don't have to do it alone, that you don't, you're not responsible for every idea. You're not responsible for every success. You're, you're terminally held responsible, but you're not responsible. Um, there are other people who can do it with you. And that's so much more fun. Well said. Thank you for sharing the details on the software and tech piece as well, too, because I know that's yeah. a priority for a lot of mission-driven organizations as well, too. And I'll, I'll put another vote in there as well for Salesforce. We've been able to do some really cool stuff uh, with the organizations I've worked with and extending its capabilities to go deeper or further into areas of customization to help organizations um, like yours, all the way to and through the clients as well, too. So um, I would also recommend others take a closer look at the stack of tech tools they may already have and what you can do there yes. in terms of a little bit of customization can go quite a long way, which is sounds like you've been able to do that as well, too, which is super encouraging. Let uh, me throw this in too real quick, Sean. Please. Um, Salesforce can be free to nonprofits. And so you can apply for that. We, we use Salesforce. It's at no cost to us. And that's enormous because we have the full suite um, available. It's just a matter of, of, of working with them to make sure they provide it. So, I mean, and up, to ten, up to 10 users for free. So with an organization of my size, it's it's a great resource. Excellent point. Yeah, there's so many great programs out there as well, too, like Salesforce and others offer specifically for mission-driven and nonprofit organizations where they can take yes. advantage of these tools that are typically very expensive, but at, at dramatically reduced, if if potentially sometimes no cost at all, like you mentioned, up to a certain level. And that could be a real game changer. Uh, so taking advantage of those, you know, I would encourage everyone to take advantage of any tools that are available uh, through a program like that. Because that'll help you, you know, achieve whatever goals you've set for your organization as well, too. So thank you for mentioning that. It's an excellent point. Uh, and Brent, thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience with your organization, all the amazing things that you've done. Thank you for all the work that you do and sharing those insights with us so that we can share them with other leaders out there as well, too, because I know um, they will be helpful for them as well. Also, I've got a couple quick questions for you before we let you go. And the first is you already mentioned a few, but are there any other resources uh, in particular that you would recommend? Or sharing with this audience so they can go to learn more about anything we talked about today or anything you think has been helpful along your journey of driving impact? In my experience, there have been um, organizations and, and groups that do really good work around expanding impact and scaling up um, impact in organizations. And so one that I came into contact with through the Obama Foundation was the BridgeSpan Group, which you can find online. I don't know what their website is off the top of my head, but the BridgeSpan Group has... Um, consultants, which are super helpful, but also blog information and articles that they published 
and, and research that they've done that really points you in the right direction in terms of thinking about how to narrow in on what your organizational mission is and then how to really expand that with the right people, the right timing, the right resources. So I would recommend them. And one of the things that that has been helpful to me too was to seek out consultants who um, are you know at least a few steps ahead of where I am. Some of them will provide services for free, others are for a fee, but honestly, it's worth it to find someone that you trust who understands organizational growth and development and really organizational change. Uh, whenever organizations expand, um, it creates growing pains. There's no, there's no way around it. You've got personalities to manage in addition to expanding missional outreach. And there are people who have been there and done that and can guide you as a leader into how to do it best. And I think that that's a great way to think about how to position yourselves and your resources um, toward doing that as somewhat painlessly as possible, but as well informed as you can possibly be. Well said on both counts. Thank you for that. And we'll be uh, sharing any of the details that you've shared with us in terms of these resources and contact information in the show notes as well, too. So for our listeners, please go there to recapture any of this information that's been shared so far. And then uh, the last question I have for you is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch to help? Well, I'm happy to, to answer questions for people. You know, I, there are times I think, what do I have to offer? But at the same time, I've, I've, I've been there a little bit myself, too. And I'm happy to help nonprofit directors who have questions about um, how to dial in um, change in their organizations, how to think about leadership challenges, um, how to think about um, expanding funding opportunities, whatever, you know, whatever nonprofit leaders um, are experiencing in their day to day. I've experienced it having been a nonprofit leader now for over 10 years, um, specifically in the nonprofit sector in different settings. So happy to answer those questions um, and w- would really welcome the opportunity, honestly. Very good. Thank you, Brent. Much appreciated. What would be the best way for someone to kind of reach out or to connect with you? Sure. Um, probably through email. Um, my email address is Brent, B-R-E-N-T, at davishousecac.org. So Brent at davishousecac.org. Perfect. And thank you. We'll link to that to the show notes as well, too. Um, Dr. Hutchinson, I can't thank you enough for being here, uh, recording an episode with us and sharing your knowledge and experience with myself and our audience. Thanks so much, Sean. I appreciate it, too. for listening to this episode of Scaling Impact. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you'd like to learn how to scale impact at your nonprofit organization by more than double in less than half the time, I encourage you to sign up for my free five-day email course at nextstep.io forward slash impact. That's nextstep.io, nxtstep.io forward slash impact.